The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, friends, and welcome back once again to Afternoons with Mike right here on the Shepherd Radio Network. Each and every day, it's my privilege to have somebody on the line or in the studio. Today, it's over the phone, and he is from Chicago. It's my joy to introduce David L. Lowry, Jr. He's a pastor. He's a Project 21 member. He has a testimony that I think is just going to knock us out of our shoes here today. It's great to have you on the program, sir. Thank you so much for having me, and I want to say first, give an honor to God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for making it possible for us to be here this morning and blessings to all those who are listening in their family. You're a person who has experienced more than your share of, of uh, experiences. Let's just leave it like that. Kind of start at the beginning. Let us know a little bit about, about your life, where you grew up. How did yes. all this happen? Well, I grew up in a small town called Marie, Arkansas. Um, my father was a sharecropper. We picked and chopped cotton until we was eight. Uh, we migrated to Chicago in uh, 63, and uh, that's where I found out who I was as a young black man. And uh, my grandmother was a political leader here in Chicago, in Inglewood, Illinois, the area where everybody's killing now, which we've been changing. Uh, but I went on to uh, become an athlete. I played in the USFL uh, in that league uh, with Herschel Walker and them. God changed my life. All that time that I was growing up, I wanted to be a professional boxer. My cousin is Michael second to none. Um, and December 7th, 1990, at the height of my career, I was 33 years old and I had a restaurant in Davenport, Iowa, and I was shot. There was a man that was there at the restaurant causing problems. My father went to remove him. Uh, the guy had a gun. I got in the way and told the guy to leave. And my father's gun went off and shot me in the heart, nicked my heart, exploded my lung, oh. broke the ribs. You know, I died instantly. And I went to be with the Lord. And he told me that, you know, just remember one thing. I'm going to give you a second chance. And everything he told me, stop drinking, stop partying, everything. It was just like, okay, Lord, I'll do it. Just just don't let me die again. And so he sent me back. And from that day, um, I was on the operating table, and I died again. But before I left his presence, he told me, he said, you tell this testimony to everybody that you meet. And remember tonight, if they say you're going to die, you tell them God said I wasn't going to die. Wow. And so when the, when the doctors pronouncing he did. And uh, I challenged God as he was receiving me. And I said, Lord, you said I wasn't going to die. And he said, your faith has made you well. He put me back into my body. Uh, they put me in hospice. I was shot Friday. The Holy Spirit came and healed me. Saturday, which I was in a state of being dead. And I woke up Sunday morning on the third day and walked out the hospital, <laughs> totally healed, long restored everything and i'm 65 now oh that's my been over goodness. 30 years ago 
So we serve the true living God. I don't know about the people out here today and what we see. This is not what God is having us to do. Because I feel Christians have went to sleep. There's been a lot of pastors who have not been good shepherds. And the sheep are wandering all over. And now I know God has brought me and saved me for this time to stand up and have no fear and preach the true gospel and bring his sheep back to him. I'm just uh, amazed that your story is not more front and center, but then I I have to stop and realize is that the news media of this day, that they would not want to really bring out your story that much because of the fact that it goes against the narrative and it shows that God's hand is upon you. I think most of us have heard afterlife stories like, uh, but maybe not quite as dramatic as what you actually experienced you know what? This is this is what it is. It's called faith. And I know when I died, God was testing me. And there were so many times people were saying, you're not going to make it. You know, they had my family there. Everybody's crying. And I kept saying, oh, no, 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 stop crying because God told me I wasn't going to die tonight. Yeah. You know, I was laughing and talking. And then when everybody left the room, you know, and that's when God sent an angel. Satan did come to see me and I cast him out. And uh, the Holy Spirit came and healed me, man. But to the people listening to this, God is waiting for us to stand up. We just have to have faith. We have to do the work. We have to organize. We have to keep evangelizing. We have to preach the gospel to those who need it. Because the word is, those who is not sick is in no need of a physician. So the world is sick right now. And we as God people need to stand up and evangelize and save our children from the homosexual schools and this upside down economy. As men and women of God, through Jesus Christ, this world belongs to us. We're inheritance, we're his sons and daughters. And that's my attitude is that Joe Biden and all the rest of this foolishness is beneath me and my God is in control of everything. And so what should we worry if we're in line with him? Well, we need the Lord now more than ever, and it's uh, exciting to see that you're standing up and being that person of courage that you described right there. Tell us a little bit about your your kind of your ministry and what goes on there in Chicago. We here, we're in Florida, and <laughs> what uh, our governor calls the great free state of Florida. A lot of what we hear coming out of Chicago in these days, it's not Uh, encouraging, let's just say it that way, but you're up there and that's your home and you're doing all that you can do to stand for the Lord. What's it like being up in Chicago right now? Well, it's like whooping a bear with a switch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I have a a relationship, you know, because of the crime, I'm the outreach pastor at Universal Baptist Church, 163, 156th Street in Harvey, Illinois. Uh, my job, I'm uh, my bishop is Bishop Troy Gardner, and my job as an outreach pastor is to go out here in the highways and byways, talk to these young men and women, uh, get them out of these street organizations, give them places to live, uh, find places for the homeless, food, shelter. That's my ministry in the world. So we've been doing it here in Chicago. But the problem is this, and I want the country and the world to know, The problem is the political leaders here in Chicago and in every leftist uh, major city. What they have done is that they have not put the money back into the black community. They don't want the crime to stop. 
they want to continue the crime in Illinois here in the black community. But there was a shooting in Highland Park, Illinois, where some our white brothers and sisters who died, which was sad. And now all of a sudden they came up with laws to ban uh, assault weapons, which is not. And so we're fighting a Senate Second Amendment case there. Mm-hmm, but right. the, the, the most horrible thing that's happening right now is the fact that we had a mayor that was an open sexual lesbian mayor, the first one ever. Um, she didn't do anything, the promises she made to help the black community. Uh, she didn't do anything about it. Uh, when pastors went to her, she claimed she didn't have money. And so um, I want to say this, President Donald Trump, and, and he has done this to all the major black cities, and I don't think the black citizens know. He put $380 million into in a program so that black folks could deal with the fentanyl, the crack problem, the homelessness. I mean, the, the lack of economics. All of this $380 million has been sitting in the city of Chicago to help the people on the west side and the south side of Chicago rebuild their community. Well, the black citizens here in the homeless, 77% of the homeless people here are black. 90% of the crime occurs into the black community. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about we've been you know, scrapping for pennies. This governor, um, he has been more about the transgender and the homosexual uh, laws that they're passing. But black folks here need that money in order to survive. And so we didn't know nothing about that money because the legislators hid the money. And what they do, what we're finding out, we filed a lawsuit through uh, the South Shore Association. And we're finding out that Donald Trump put the money there. The black legislators hid the money. They've been getting the interest off the money. And so now they're trying to reappropriate the money to other programs where they are part of their little organization. But with the craziness in our borders being open after Joe Biden forced them open, we got millions of illegal aliens here in Chicago. And the first place that they are that's probably, and they're doing it all over the country, into the black community. They're forcing these people in our community. They're coming in, they're gangs. They're, they're fighting with the street gangs in Chicago. They're bringing drugs in. They're bringing diseases in. They're bringing all sorts of drugs into the black community now, which is making it worse. And so they put these people in schools. And myself and some other pastors have been trying to get these schools, uh, uh, the Department of Education in Chicago closed 163 schools in the black and brown community. Mm-hmm. And we've been trying to get those schools, you know, so that we can open those schools back up and get out of the public school system and start teaching our kids what they need to learn, like math and science. But they took these schools, Wadsworth Elementary, this was about two months, two or three months ago, and they brought a bunch of illegal aliens in and they housed them in this community. The people was up in arms about it. Uh, the aldermen in the area sold the people of Chicago out because we got involved and said, you know what, we can stop this. But they sold the community out and they allowed those aliens to move into that area. And now that that community is suffering. Yeah. So they came back and then um, a few weeks ago, right before Lori Lightfoot was out of office, she opened up this emergency fund. 
And in this emergency fund pops up the $380 million that was earmarked by the black community for the drug problem and to be rebuilt. We didn't know that that money was there. So what they did was they've been begging at the sanctuary city and begging for all these people to come from Florida, Texas, and everywhere else, and the people are showing up. But there are also all sorts of terrorists from 150 other countries that are coming into our country that's making it unsafe. Hmm. So the new mayor, I can't even call him a mayor, he's a, he's a puppet for the school union. We were hoping that he would not award $51 million to the illegal aliens, which was the money earmarked for the black community. And we didn't know that until we filed the lawsuit. Wow. And, and so now we've got the lawsuit filed. We found out the whole $380 million is there. It was put there three years ago by Trump, three or four years when Trump was in office. None of that money has been given to the black community. We got homelessness raging out of control here in Chicago. And so our organization, Living and Driving While Black, uh, in association with some other lawyers, uh, Frank Avila, they filed the lawsuit. So that's when we found out that the money was earmarked for the black community. And that money probably been coming for years. And all of this was done under the leftist uh, administration here. Um, the same black people who cried about getting a black mayor in after Lori Lightfoot almost destroyed the city. And now out of emotions, black people voted him in, plus they're cheating with tabulators and they got this guy in and he has continued the destruction of this city. Mm. And so he released that $51 million and we've been calling Christians and we've been calling groups and militias from across the country to be here in Chicago, July 22nd. And we're gonna be downtown at the Thompson Center the mayor can look at us, and we want thousands to come and let them know while this lawsuit is going, we're not going to stand for this. We're the American people. We're going to unite. And that's what I'm telling you, Americans, no matter what color, God's people, we're going to unite. We're going to stand in unison. And before you give any more money to any illegal non-citizen, you're going to fix the problems that we have in Chicago with the money that was allocated for us. And if you don't, we'll continue to sue the city and actual investigations by other uh, civil rights organizations as well as Justice Department that we know that the leftist party has been stealing that money for years and the black community is dying. The family structure is down to 9%. The abortion rate since Roe versus Wade in 72. It's been 58 million black mm -hmm. babies and brown babies that have been destroyed in the womb. And the black community is almost extinct. Yes, generations lost because of that and almost 50 years. And uh, we're coming up in just uh, next week, we're coming up on the anniversary of that uh, Dodd case that changed everything, Roe v. Wade being now overturned. Uh, boy, you mentioned so many things there, and our time is limited, but I did want to uh, go back to one thing that you said. You are the founder and president of an organization called Living and Driving While Black Foundation, and so that is a national civil rights organization. Uh, are you getting a lot of help with other agencies like your own to fight this thing that's yes. going on? Yes, I have a lot of people that have contacted us, uh, a lot of 
different political groups. I uh, just got a call from uh, a, a friend of mine out of California. They're sending people here. They're the Black Pack. They're sending people from Pittsburgh. This is going to be huge. And I encourage people, if you're in the Chicago area, uh, July 22nd to converge, I'll send you the flyer and you want to pass it around. But I want to ask people, you know, for donations, because this is what's going to happen. We're going to make a difference in Chicago that day. We asked for food, water, clothing, whatever, hygiene product. Uh, you can send them to our church, 163 156th Street, Harvey, Illinois, 60426. That's Universal Baptist Church. We asked folks to send that because what we're going to do that day, we're going to bust all the homeless people downtown out of the city of Chicago. And in that plaza, we're going to let them set up their camp right there. So we want food and water for them so the mayor can look out of his window and see all those homeless Americans. And maybe that'll send a message to him to find some money and place those, mm. our American citizens, into schools as well. If people don't stand up uh, the way you're standing up right now, there's much to be lost in this country. And I'm grateful that you're making a stand, grateful for your life, grateful that God has uh, given you that second chance that he yes. did when you were 33 years old. And my friend, it seems like you're you're using that uh, for his glory. And I appreciate that. David Lowry, it is so great to meet you and talk with you. We'll have to have you back on in the future, and we Please wish you do. the best. Give us the uh, web address, if you can, about how people can find out more about your organization. You can go to livingdrivingwildblack.org, and, and you can catch our television show, uh, tecntv.com. We're also on rumble.com, uh, channel David Low 1057. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. That's awesome. And folks, if you want to make a financial donation for us, you can send it to uh, dollar sign Pastor David 22, or you can Zell D Lowry L O W E R Y. A-N-D, associates, A-S-S-O-C-I-A-T-E-S, at gmail.com. And we're looking for anything, clothing, because we want to make sure that the Americans are taken care of first, no matter what color we are. We're all God's children, and all we have to do now is have faith and do the work, and God will bless the work of our hands. God bless you. And thank you, and God bless America. Yes. David Lowry, thanks for being with me. And friends, we'll be back in just a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike right here on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. 
All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. On the line with me all the way in Vancouver, Washington, his name is Jerry Wilbur, and Jerry is an author. He is part of a church out there. The book that he has written is The True Blue Revolution, What If Politicians Couldn't Lie? Now, that's quite a premise. Welcome to my program, Jerry. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. This is really fun. I, I understand you have connections in Florida, right? Yes, had a lot of family live in Florida and a lot of friends live in Florida. So it's a great state. Love it. Now, a lot of us that are in Florida, we hear about what uh, crazy things are going on in the Northwest. Terrible summer where the downtown was under siege. What's what's it like where you are right now? How are things out there? Well, you know how you have something negative happen in one place. It's actually probably been a little more positive for Vancouver because a lot of people moved across the river. Uh, I'm not saying that Washington's political situation is, is much better than, than Oregon. Uh, you know, we have progressive governors in both states. Mm-hmm. But uh, people came. To, our population's actually grown quite a bit. Our downtowns boomed because a lot of people came over. Part of that's the tax situation also. Washington doesn't really have a state income tax. So a lot of people decided, okay, let's uh, get away from Portland's uh, violence and uh, – Unfortunately, and we've had many friends that visit and uh, always said they always like to come out and then drive on down to Portland. And last few times, it's still uh, still still pretty risky down there. They've got a lot of issues to deal with. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I know. Uh, it. I see video. Yep. And this is really I mean, even in the area where my daughter used to live, that's getting kind of dicey in some of those areas, which was a pretty nice area before. But uh, but yeah. the, the thing with the overrunning of the city by homeless, and then, of course, the openness with the drug situation that's there. Uh, It's getting to be very dangerous in certain parts of Portland. Yes, yes, yeah. I'm I'm sure it's not the only town. It's unfortunate that uh, it was such a beautiful town, as you know, by having been there. Oh, yeah. If you went back, it still has a lot of things, but an awful lot of things are fenced up and boarded up, and uh, they they claim they're trying to make uh, efforts to, to deal with it. Uh, the town of Vancouver, I think, did a much better job with their homeless people and that they a lot of business people got together. And uh, our church used to do uh, feeding the homeless down the park. And they set up several homes and places called Share House and a number of places seem to have done a much more uh, positive approach to the whole homeless, houseless situation. So, mm. um but a lot more needs to be done. Portland just trying to try to solve it politically, and it didn't hasn't worked. If anything, it's incentivized probably more homeless people. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge for the church. It's a challenge for everyone earlier. in America right now, right? Yeah. Yes, I was commenting earlier, and in the in the book, uh, I hate to plug the book, but <laughs> oh no, second, that's but, fine. Uh, true, true, but true blue revolution. Part of that. Um, and it's a political satire, but part of it says one of the I try to put in some answers to the situation. And one of the situations, uh, one of the the situation was setting up and, and it was meant to kind of sort of humorously reservations for the temporarily bewildered. And the idea was to bring people out from the inner cities and train them in positive psychology, but also uh, helping them set up small banks for themselves, you know, micro banks. 
try to have a lot of solutions in there as well as just saying, hey, here's a problem. Here's some solutions. Because I think if we really wanted to solve the issue, we could. And uh, it would take a lot of effort and a lot of redirection. Now, your book that we've just mentioned it's not a brand new book. It's not written in the last year. In fact, it was written 10 years ago, but many who have read your book would have uh, alluded to the fact that there's almost a prophetic nature. Yeah, uh, and <clears throat> people ask me why I wrote this first at, uh, in 2013. I, since then, I had to pull that back and re-edit it, but I didn't change the, uh, the content at all. And in there, it was about talking about rigged elections and talking about a, a digital candidate and um, the first reaction to the first book was it was too outlandish. And so it was supposed to be political satire. Yeah, but it's too much like science fiction. And, of course, since then, we have definitely seen a digital <laughs> politician. And one of the things that people are really worried about uh, with uh, artificial intelligence or machine intelligence is that it can take and digitalize. And, and you can look at it and, and it's hard now to tell the voice. They could digitalize your voice and send it yeah, to uh, yeah. one of your children, and they would have a hard time. That just came out recently. Right. And they can also digitalize your picture. And um, in a short time period, people won't know, is that really you, or, or is that an artificial intelligence or what we call machine intelligence? So I had that in the book also, 2013, wow. and then uh, rewrote it in 2016. And then I do have the newest book, just came out in 2023, which is Rise of the True Blue Rebellion. So it's this kind of a series, and uh, it follows through on the same theme, in that psychopaths are out there, and uh, people have only kind of looked at them as sort of, I, I, not me, but a lot of people kind of, as like entertainment. You know, there was TV shows about Dexter, and there were different two. But as I looked at it, I thought, man, people don't realize how dangerous these people really are. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can now identify them, and that's made them more dangerous because, uh, you know, are you aware and do your care is kind of my slogan. And people can be aware of it, now do they care? And in the past, people thought, yeah, we know there's psychopaths. Now we can actually identify psychopaths. And there's a lot of them out there. And um, anyway. I think you're right. I think that there's a, a lot of them that, you know, I, I use the phrase, it's a little different, but sometimes it, you feel like the uh, inmates are running the asylum, as that old phrase goes. You're wondering, how in the world can what is so bizarrely wrong and upside down to what America has believed for centuries now and what in life in general, I mean, the whole thing with transgenderism, what we're being asked to not only just buy into, but to celebrate uh, has, it's not been the way it, it's been the opposite way for millennia. And yet now we're being asked to believe it as if this has been the right way, the gospel truth. And and yes. speaking of which, uh, there's a there's an element of religion to this whole new way of thinking. They just don't want to call it that, but they're they're really worshiping a, a religion of uh, of their own making, and that's what's really sad. Well, you know, and I I don't I should have the exact reference for here, but I believe it's in Isaiah five. It says that they will call what is evil, they will call good, and what is good, they will call evil. Right. I believe it's Isaiah 5, but I probably have, might not have the right reference here. Usually I don't like to make a biblical reference without having it, but, uh, and I think that's what's happened. There's a, uh, as I talk to people, they're just stunned. And that's why uh, a lot of people I shared this book was originally from my church, and I go, my goodness, it, it's, uh, is that really what's happening? And I said, well, I, I, yes, I believe so. Psychopaths are attracted to power, power, dominance, and control. And when you look at Washington, D.C., uh, last figure I saw said 
95%, they said 90% of people in the Washington, D.C. area are there because they're almost all of them there because they're connected to the politics and they're connected to the power. And psychopaths are attracted to power, dominance, and control. And it's hard for us non-psychopaths to understand that. You know, we're motivated, hopefully, by love and empathy. And uh, psychopaths literally have no conscience. And uh, they're part of their brain that uh, that has to do with the amygdala or the anterior and posterior cingulate that has to do with with uh, empathy and conscience is uh, completely absent. I mean, it's there, but it's dead, dead zone. And that's based on good research, by the way, on fMRIs and everything else. That's not just me saying that. That's right. proven. And unfortunately, uh, <laughs> I just read something recently. A guy said maybe what Trump should do is tell everybody who comes into his his administration, if he gets back in, should have to take a lie detector. And I uh, said the only problem with that is that psychopaths can pass lie detector tests if they're very uh, good at being a psychopath. I have to use that terminology, but efficient and effective at being a psychopath. Mm-hmm. They can um, they can fake uh, most of the lie detector tests. Now they claim they're getting some that they won't be able to. So. The only way to tell this, uh, I said, well, they should only have them take a lie detector test, but say uh, take a brain scan also. Mm. Mm. And people think well, that's a little invasive. I go, well, you know, we need to do something because we need to protect ourselves from people that have no conscience that can lie with a straight face and not feel anything bad about it. Turn around, you know. I keep people, I keep hearing people say, well, there's so much hypocrisy, so much double standard. And I go, well, it's not their, it's their standard that any yeah. lie will do. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, you're, it's, you've it's uh, you've really ID'd and you've put the finger to the pulse, if you will, toward uh, a lot of the the reasoning. We'd say, I think most of us would feel, how is it that things can be so upside down right now when laws that are on the books are just being overlooked? I mean, uh, we're in uh, this Pride Month right now, and uh, it it's not drawn a lot of attention at all in the in the national press, but. Uh, United States flag protocol was completely broken and yeah. not worried about. But why at by the White House? At the White House, that, yeah. at the seat of power here in in America, something that has long been held as a a dear tradition, and that flag represents our freedoms, and yet willingly overlooking and just acting like it's okay to make something that believers would say is wrong. And, and saying that that's okay. That's the upside down nature. And that's why you're calling yeah. this thing psychopaths. It's just upside down. Well, you know, and, and people say, well, you initially it started as an idea and then it started as a theory. And they say, well, you know, when you have a theory, but also the facts support it. Um, you know, people don't realize that our whole constitution was built under Isaiah uh, 33, 22. And I do know that's the exact reference. It said, for our Lord is our judge, our uh, lawgiver and our king, the three parts, the balance of powers. And what's happened is they're attacking that balance of power also, if you notice. And um, that that's, you know, there's so much they're attacking under the Constitution because the Constitution, I believe, strongly, was given to us on God by God and protected. You start looking at all the things that happened, both coincidences that happened in the establishment of the United States. Mm-hmm. And you can even go back further, and I talk about this in the second book more. But you go all you can go all the way back into to what Judeo Christian Western civilization, and you have to look at my goodness, look at all the little quote coincidences that just happened at just the right time to protect this. And I believe this is God's creation, and He He He's, He gives us the Constitution as a model 
and he gave Jesus, obviously, as a model. And, of course, you and I believe even more than a model, but you know what I'm saying. That's, sure. a, that's yeah. an ideal man. And that's why these things are all being attacked. That's why they're why they're being attacked. And and we should not, as Christians, we should not be surprised that they're being attacked. As a matter of fact, uh, I was just watching a lot. I don't know if you don't want to get off on another subject, but this whole UAP, UFO thing. Mm-hmm. And someone said, what's up with that? I said, well, that's uh, people trying to cover up. Uh, it's hard to be a want to have power, dominance, and control, and have to admit you can't control your own airspace. <laughs> you can't protect your own civilians. And so, didn't mean to get off into another subject. No, that's, but that's fine. Just another issue. Yeah, you look at almost any of these issues, and all of a sudden they go, "Well, wait a minute." So psychopaths are in charge right now. Ooh, that makes sense. Now, when you wrote Psychopath. this, you wrote yeah, this right. as a satire. It's a satirical yeah. look, and yet uh, it's ironic, isn't it, that 10 years later what was written as satirical is actually not a bad description of, of actual what's going on. And that is no. the, that's yeah, the prophetic right. nature of what it seems that you did. You tapped into something that was much more of a direction than I think most people, who, if they would have read your book back in 2013, they wouldn't have caught that that was even going to be possible. Because there's still, and, and I find this, I don't know if you agree with this, but there's, there are a lot of things that I read about on a daily basis right now that I still have a hard time getting my brain around that this is happening here in America. It's so hard for me to believe it. But Well, this is, this is one of the advantages that psychopaths have. They also have a disadvantage, by the way. But uh, you know, they do not know what empathy is. And so they have to watch other people and actually learn from other people how to react. They have no sense of empathy. And so consequently, they can do things, and we sit there, and we don't understand them either. Uh, we can't understand how a person can do some of the things that get, are done by serial killers. Now, not all not all psychopaths are serial killers, by the way. There's a lot of what, what's called positive. I don't want to use that terminology, but successful psychopaths also. A lot of surgeons, doctors, politicians. We probably don't like them, but they're, they haven't been done anything to get thrown in jail yet, to our knowledge. But we don't understand. And um, how could they do some of the stuff that they do? You know, yeah. and we, you just and you can't even get, begin to get your head around it and go. And that's because we can't think that way. They're, they're thinking completely differently. And uh, it's hard to um, – in the book, I talk about that there are some psychopaths that do change. It's difficult very difficult to, to change them. And of course, we believe the power of the Holy Spirit can do that, and salvation can do that, but it's a very, very difficult. They have a rate of six times recidivism. So in other words, six times more likely to commit the crime again once mm-hmm. they're put out of jail. Yeah. And they're very hard to counsel, having counseled a few of them. They're extremely difficult to counsel because they're very smart, but not all of them, but many of them. Well, I know and, uh, you're speaking as one who has studied this. You have both a, a yeah. BA and an MA, a master's, in psychology, and you have a doctorate in human resource development. So yeah, this yeah. is something that, you know, you're coming from this, not from having uh, just been thinking on the sidelines here, but you've, you've gone through a lot of schooling to be able to make some of these statements. And that's probably uh, part of the reason why your book was so successful in aiming at uh, what, what is now a 10 years later reality for us all. So we're kind of coming down to the end of our segment here. Jerry, how can people get a hold of this book that you've written called True Blue Revolution? Well, uh, I hate to say the word Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. But they are the large book distributor. Yes. And uh, 
So it's the rise of the True Blue Rebellion is the is the newest one, but the first one is True Blue Revolution, and uh, they really are are part. Of, hopefully, I'm going to have a third one here, a trilogy, if I can uh, keep 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 moving. Uh, one reaction people do have quickly is they say, "Well, why do you use the color blue?" And I said, "Because." And this gets out a lot of things. They stole that color from us. Well, uh, that and the rainbow the guy, too, my friend. Yes, yeah, well, but they they stole blue, yes, and the rainbow. They stole blue from us as you start thinking, you know, the boys in blue fighting against the, the redcoats. The, mm-hmm. uh, when I was right. young, many years ago, it was said better dead than red. It was red Chinese, red communist, the whole sign. So they, in the 70s and in the 80s, they stole that color from us, just like they've stolen many things. And yes, good point, stolen the rainbow from us, Right. God's promise. And so um, I'm just saying we need to be aware and we need to care and stop them from stealing our country from us, not just our words from us, but our country. That's right. And uh, so I guess that's what uh, I would say the true blue revolution is all about. And a true blue rebellion is going back to our truth. And uh, we know the truth shall set us free. And uh, that's why they're such an enemy of truth. That's right. They would prefer to lie. They prefer to, in many cases, psychopaths would prefer to lie even when the truth would serve them better. They wow. just enjoy the lie and the deception. Jerry Wilbur, thank you for being yep. with me today, and we really appreciate it. Friends, the book again, The True Blue Revolution, and then you had, uh, what was the second one? Now give us that name, and that's... Rise, Rise of the True Blue Rebellion. Rise of the True out. Blue Rebellion. Jerry Wilbur, right. thank you, and friends, we'll be back in just a moment right here on Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Back in segment three now and back on the line with me is Robert Borelli. I've had him on a number of times. Robert's story is quite amazing. He was born in Brooklyn and that was in 1954 in the middle of the Gambino crime family neighborhood. And uh, that kind of sucked him right into that lifestyle. By 20, he had two murder raps and numerous arrests under his belt. And then he was being paraded around the neighborhood as the up-and-coming star of the feared Gambino family, the same family that John Gotti would eventually bring to the mainstream media. We've heard about it, and this is one man that has been affected by it. Robert Borelli, it's great to have you back on my program. I know that that's hardly representative of the man that you are today because you had an encounter with another person that was more powerful than anybody that uh, you had ever talked with before, and that, of course, was Jesus. So it's great to have you back on the program. Well, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be on your program. I do appreciate uh, you and your ministry and all that you're doing also. So we uh, really, really uh, like to partner up with you and all that you're doing, and I thank you for using uh, our ministry as to, to promote it and help us out getting it out there a little bit more. So thank you. You certainly are welcome, Robert. Uh, I, I had uh, I mentioned this to Robert. My wife really particularly enjoyed the last time you were on with me, and she's, uh, I think, a great judge of uh, my guests that are here, and she just loved it. 
And so I, one thing I just think is so cool about your expressions, you come from that New York uh, area. You, ha- you had to be tough. You grew up in a rough, tough neighborhood, and it was not easy for you. But uh, I love this one phrase that you say, God made you an offer he couldn't refuse. <laughs> that's, that's so great, man. And I'm grateful that he did. Tell us a little bit, for those that may have not heard your story before, give us a little recap of what happened in your life. Well, you know, as you said, I was raised in the, in the middle of the Gambino crime family neighborhood. And, you know, I always say this here because, you know, that wasn't my only uh, uh, people that I was around. Of course, I was around my family and around other things. So I, I kind of put it that I had three kind of uh, uh, people in my life. I have my mom and dad, my family, and uh, we were in a poor neighborhood. And, you know, my family had struggles trying to make ends meet, paying rent and putting clothes and, and, feet, and food on the table with the, for the family. And that would cause a lot of sometimes, not let's say a lot, but would cause some kind of uh, arguments in my home. So at an early age, that's not what I wanted to grow up to be like. So that wasn't the example that I wanted for me growing up. And then, you know, I had friends that were a little bit older than me that got drafted into the, into the uh, army. And when they came back from the Vietnam War, it was either drugged up or alcohol consumed them to get over whatever experiences they had there, which I don't know. I never experienced that, but I didn't want to be like them neither. And then you had the guys that kind of protected the neighborhood. That's what they did. You know, it wasn't the way it, 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 it was shown years back, like murders and stuff like that. We didn't see that in my neighborhood from these guys, but we've seen that they took care of the neighborhood uh, you know, got a lot of respect from everybody in the neighborhood, store owners, people who live there and all that. So I gravitated to that lifestyle because it seemed like they got a lot of respect. They had nice clothes on, carried themselves really well, had cars where most people in my neighborhood couldn't afford a car. So that's kind of I gravitated to that in, in an early life. And if you've seen uh, the movie Goodfellas, it's, those are people that I was around, but not the same family. But that's kind of the setting that you could say if, as a picture of how I grew up as a young kid. And then, of course, I got in trouble with the Lord, been in out of prison most of my life. Uh, you mentioned at the age of 20. And back in them days, it wasn't really heard of that a 20-year-old would be arrested for murders. That's back in 1975. And, you know, I did my time. You know, I slayed up and did everything that I was taught to do, groomed to do being part of that Grand Vino crime family neighborhood. And when I came out, I went to trial. I beat one of the murder cases. And then when I was paraded around, as like the up-and-coming son that gave me a crime family. And then, you know, drugs came around, and there was a lot of money and power in drugs because once you have a lot of money, you have a lot of power, and you have a lot of friends, you know. And uh, I gravitated towards that later on in life, and I started started using uh, um selling drugs and then the drugs started selling me in a sense you know yeah, that uh, happens became a to... user yeah and i got addicted to uh, crack cocaine and you know that's kind of what landed me my last time in uh rikers island i had the warrant officers came to me and uh, arrested me i had a case in federal case in in uh, miami florida and a state case in new york and i got arrested and i called them my angels today because that's the last time i had a drink and a drug and that was January 23rd, 1997. Wow. Wow. Now, I know you had a book release in the fall of last year, 
and that book is called The Witness. Tell us about that. Well, The Witness, kind of how we, we, we title it The Witness, because part of my testimony is that, and you mentioned it earlier, that the government gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. I believe God was speaking to me through the government language that I can understand. Because that's what we used to do, give people offers they couldn't refuse back in the neighborhood. So I'm grateful for that, you know. And uh, I was placed in the witness protection program. I had to do time when I came out. I got a new name, new identity, and all that. And I correlate that with how the government gave me a new identity, a new name, a new beginning as Robert Borelli. Jesus already did that in my spiritual life when I surrendered to him. He wiped my my slate clean. My sins are forgiven. I have a new identity. I am now a child of God. So I correlate that story. So that being said, uh, the book was, I was a witness for the government, and now I'm a witness for Christ. And and that's why we named it The Witness. So it tells you a lot more detail than I would go into. And I didn't write the book. I had uh, H. Scott Hunt was the writer of the book. And I think he did a great job. I even brought him to the neighborhood to see a little bit and see how the culture was in that that neighborhood. Uh, and then he wrote the book for, for, for me. So that's why it's called The Witness. A that's witness right. for the government, but now a witness for Christ. It's a great title, and it's a great story, I might add. And I'm so thankful that the Lord does what he has done in you, and he continues to do it. The ministry that you have, you go out to places, you, you talk about the redeeming power of God and his his redeeming power in your own life. Your testimony has been so effective. Tell me what's going on in your life today. What's happening? Well, uh, recently, well, actually last year, we went over to South Carolina and uh, hired a team to uh, do a mini documentary on my story. I think they did a fantastic job of it. It's it's titled Redeemable. Uh, At one time, I was unredeemable, but now I show that all people are redeemable. So anyway, that's kind of where we are with that. We're gonna, we're not gonna show it out yet. We're doing what we call a premiere, trying to get fun, use it as a fundraiser mm-hmm. to get people to partner up with our ministry. So this week we can do a lot more than I believe. I believe God is wants to extend our uh, our territory and to reach a lot more people, especially with everything that's going on in, in our culture and our, our, our state. And I'm going to just say this. I just feel, and this is just my, my my heart is for the United States. And I consider myself a missionary to the United States because I see how it's we're kind of falling apart and getting so far from God. So I want to use that as a tool to show people that it's never too late for a new beginning. And my new beginning started in Rikers Island on my hands and knees, crying out to, to Jesus to help me because I don't want to live the way I was living anymore and surrendering my life to him. So that's the documentary we're doing. It'll be done. It'll, we'll have it hosted at the community at Lake Ridge Church over here. It's uh, in Venice, Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll be September 9th uh, of this year. So Wow, that's when it's going to come. So that's really exciting. And I know that uh, the impact will not only be great there, but elsewhere where you've gone. When you look at uh, how you grew up and the the difficulties of the, the culture that you grew up in, what do you think of when you look at what's happening in those big cities today, like New York, where you came from? What, what uh, comparisons would you make it? 
Well, you, you want to understand, that's one of the series that I like to do is about addiction because you know, I'm hearing all the media, I'm hearing everything that's going on, I'm hearing what's going on to these big states that they want to start legalized drugs and make it easier for drug addicts to get access to drugs so this way they don't overdose and kill themselves. But the thing I have with that is the biggest lie I think every addict tells themselves, and I'm included in that when I was an addict, is I'm only hurting myself, which is the biggest lie we could possibly tell ourselves because we're hurting everybody around us. We're hurting our families. We're hurting our children. We're hurting everybody. So even if it makes it easier for the people who are addicted to get their drugs and make it easier for them to live on drugs, what happens to their families? Right. You know, who's going to take care of their children? That's who's right. going to take care of their wives or girlfriends or whatever it is that they're, who's going to take care of their moms and dads or their brothers and sisters? So it, it affects everybody, it affects the, the everybody that you are around or everybody that's around you. So, I mean, that's one of the things that I would like to do. And hopefully we'll be able to get that funded also, because I like to do a little documentary on addiction itself and how it affected my life and everybody around me, including my little girl who's not a little girl anymore. Uh, <laughs> right. and, and yeah, so um, that's what I like to talk about because it's a lot deeper than just somebody making it easier for somebody to get high. It's, it's a very, very destructive. It really is. And again, thank you for your testimony, Robert. And this event that's coming up in September, it will be there in Texas. And uh, you said, was it Venice, Texas? I think I heard you say. It's Venice. It's right on the borderline of Mansfield and where I live and, and Venice. It's a, it's a, probably about 20 minutes from mostly all the central area, metro uh, areas in my neighborhood, like Arlington and Fort Worth and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I, we put, we brought it to, to this church. It's a, right off of two major highways and it'll be September 9th. And after we do the fundraiser, then we'll start putting it out on social media and things like that that people could see. And hopefully people will still want to partner up with us this way we could do a lot more because, listen, we we we, we need somebody to go out there and be the voice of, of, of Jesus. And um, so, and and I have a heart for, for the United States. Matter of fact, I, I, I cry over my country a lot today. Yeah, I think a lot of people are crying right now when they think about what's going on in our country. And there's a lot to cry about, but I'm grateful that we have people like you, Robert. And your story, I know, is going to be looked at and respected by a lot of the people who are maybe fighting some of the same things that you fought. And, you know, the Bible talks about we overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And that's what you're doing. So thank you for doing it. Thank you for the book, The Witness. Where can people get a hold of that book? Well, they could go to my website, robertborelli.com, and they can order it there and just put their name, how they want me to address it, and I would personally sign it and mail it to them personally. Or they could go to amazon.com and get it there. I prefer doing the website because I get more uh, financial support through the yeah, website sure. than, I, yeah, yes, than, than I do through, through. But anyway, I could sign it then, too, if they want to sign copies. So. But either one is great. Get the book. You'll love it. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And it, it touches many areas in, in, in our life today. Robert Borelli. Borelli spelled B-O-R-E-L-L-I. And that web address, give us that web address one more time. It's robertborelli.com. 
robertborelli.com. Robert, it's great to talk with you. We got to check back in in September and find out how that documentary is shaping up. That would be great. Love to hang out with you someday. All right, my friend. And friends, thank you as well for being with us on another program. We'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.